uh, for this year, please consider House Church. We definitely, um, we actually had a goal, a, a silent goal of raising uh, $20,000 by the end of the year over and above the operating budget, and we actually got 4000 toward that end. So um, I'm really thankful we, we made a dent in it um, in addition to the regular operating budget each month. So thank you for, for considering House Church for your year-end giving needs. Um, church service project, bags for the homeless. This is backed by popular demand. Um, bring individual snack items, water bottles, um, toiletry items, anything that you think would, would fill a gallon-sized Ziploc bag. Next Sunday, the youth are going to fill those bags. Um, so please bring, them, uh, bring all the stuff next Sunday if you forgot today so that they have something to put in those bags. And then um, however many we have left... Uh, will go home with all of the families in your vehicle so that when you encounter someone on the street that is needing something, you have something to give them. And I, I love this project. We have all, all love this project. So please do that. Um, youth Service Project, um, Chris Holmes is doing a great job along with Morgan and with Christine Bryans with the youth. I'm just so thankful for them. Um, they have a plan to serve the hungry at Iron Gate, December 28th. So at the, um, during vacation, the youth are going to get out of their pajamas. Okay, they're going to get off the couch. They're going to actually go somewhere in between um, the, uh, on, their, on their vacation, rather. 9.30 to 11.30, see Chris. Chris, raise your hand. Chris, everybody make Chris feel real uncomfortable and say, yeah, Chris. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. Um, we also have a worship night coming up um, and a go and see the lights night coming up. Um, Lucas, so it's, um, if you want to join Wednesday night, this Wednesday night at about 6.30 here at the church, if you just want to hang out and worship, um, the band is going to be here. And then Lucas is, Luke, everybody say, hi, Lucas. Lucas is here from, uh, from Houston, up from Houston. Get on his calendar if you haven't already, because he fills up real quick when he's here. Um, so Wednesday night, worship night, if you have questions, we just drummed it up about 15 minutes ago. So don't ask us about the details. It's just basically um, come and worship Wednesday night, 6.30. See Lucas for more, for more details. And then gathering place at 5 o'clock on Saturday. Friday. Ah, okay, yes. So, so Wednesday night is worship night, 6.30. Friday night go with the church to see the lights at the gathering place at five o'clock um, right after work. Um, and again, see Lucas for more details. Or go ahead and just speak it up. Sounds good. Yes. We can we can communicate with you about that, Pam. Yeah, for sure. All right. Lighting of the Advent candles. Is everybody here? What would it take? for you to get 5% more here. Yeah, I hear those, 
that breathing. We move at such a fast pace, don't we? But you're safe. You landed. You're home. You're home with your church family. Try this with me. If you're comfortable, I want you to close your eyes, and if you're not, you can just let your eyes rest softly. Okay, you ready for this? This is going to get you here. Try to imagine that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. Imagine what it would feel like if there was nothing wrong with you. Now try to imagine if there was absolutely nothing wrong with your family. Take a deep inhale with me and a deep exhale. One more time, a deep inhale and a deep exhale. You can open your eyes and look at me. You are already more than enough. Just exactly the way you are. Let us move forward in our Advent worship. Children of God, lay down your defenses and find peace in the community of faith. Let the church be a safe refuge where peace reigns over fear and violence. Children of God, examine your ways and prepare to yield to the gentle, loving way of Christ. We let go of the harshness and pettiness keeping us from peace with God and neighbor. Children of God, come to worship and proclaim this peace to all the world. We gather in the spirit of Christ himself. Let us worship in peace together. Let us pray. God of peaceful presence, thank you for the peace we find in fellowship with one another. Your spirit calms our hearts, soothes our minds, and settles our bodies. We bring our stress, unease, and agitation and lay them down before you. You are familiar with the mental anguish we face. We cast all of our anxiety upon you, knowing that you care for us. And in the place of anxiety, we receive the healing and wholeness you have for us each day. And we settle ourselves in your presence. Amen. Would the two teens that are helping light the candle come up at this time.
two candles today. <laughs> so one of you get me this, and one of you light the candle. And the other one will light this and light the candle. And then you can either say this together, or one of you can eat that one you didn't get this morning. Okay? Clear as mud? Yes. The season of Advent reminds us of the hope we have in the humanity of Jesus. God came to us leaving behind the glory of heaven to be a person feeling pain, joy, loss, and love. Today we light the candle of hope because in Jesus, heaven came to earth. Advent reminds us that the Prince of Peace came and lived among us. He felt stress within himself and conflict with other people, yet he chose his path of peace, peace within himself and peace with humankind. Today we light the candle of peace because Jesus showed us how to live in peace. Out of peaceful presence, the earth is not a pe always a peaceful place. Nations struggle against each other. Weapons of war are used upon the innocent. And buildings, police gain power through force and cruelty. Grant wisdom to our leaders to seek peace instead of war and community resources instead of weapons. Embolden the powerful and privileged to resist bullies and to choose the other side, the side of the weak and the poor. Instead of an army of fighters, make us into a band of peacemakers, rejecting all forms of violence wherever we go. Renew our minds to pursue peace, even at great cost, for this is the way of Jesus. Amen. That's great. Thank you. Oh, I love this line. Make us end... Instead of an army of fighters, make us into a band of peacemakers. Yes, rejecting all forms of violence wherever we go. Yes, 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 I say yes to that. Do we have the video, yes? Okay, enjoy this video. the sounds of Advent stir a longing in your people, O oh God. Come again to set us free from the dullness of routine and the poverty of our imaginations. Break the patterns which bind us to small commitments and to the stale answers we have given to questions of no importance. Let the Advent trumpet blow. Let the walls of our defenses crumble. And make a place in our lives for the freshness of your love. Well lived in the spirit. And still given to all who know their need. Dare receive it. 
as my, my daughter would say, relatable, right? She says that at the most interesting times. She's so smart, and she uses the English language so well. And at certain times, she'll just go, relatable. When I saw all of the people on their phones in that video, at the dinner table, in bed, in a chair, the phone was there. And then at the very end, Earl is staring outside the biggest screen. She's not staring into a screen. She's staring out that window, allowing space for wonder. And that's what this season is all about, is allowing a space for wonder. But it, can you turn me down just a little bit, Hank? I, I'm, it's ringing some, and thank you. It was so, I haven't seen a, a, a quote-unquote Christian video like that that really shows the reality of us and our phones. And it stuck with me all week as a challenge. <laughs> Who would I be without my phone? And I want us to sit with that question today. Um, sadly, um, Amber and Meredith are not here today, um, so, I, so we don't have a peace blessing. I'm sorry, but I'm definitely going to give you a peace blessing in the message, so it'll be good. Um, if you would go ahead and stand with me, let us um, share the peace and pass peace to one another. Peace lives within and among us. When we pass the peace of Christ, we create peace between us and share the peace within us. Share the peace of Christ with your neighbors, family, and friends. May the peace of Christ be with you. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'll try that again. May the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Our Lutheran friends would be so proud. Do, do you want to do it one more time? May the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Look at us being liturgical. Man, I'm just so proud of us. All right, why don't you go ahead and pass the peace to one another, being sensitive to social graces, and, and then we'll sing together. God bless you.
morning, House Church. I want to invite you to come back and take your seat. And let's stand together and worship. to uh, share with you why we chose this song this morning. It's a familiar one. It's called No Other Love. But part of the reason we chose this song for this week is because it has all the Advent themes threaded throughout it. It's got love and peace. Come on back, guys. It's got love and peace and joy and hope threaded throughout the song. And so that's why we chose this one to share with you. And I I want to just invite you to just linger in the melody. Just linger in the song. Linger in the lyrics. Do some breathing as we're singing. I agree with Bonnie that we get in such a rush sometimes and we're so conscious of time and we want to do things the right way. And so I invite you this morning to just linger in this song and Sing if you want to sing. Don't sing. Whatever, whatever you feel like doing this morning.
You illuminate the 
south and the east and the west you've come this far but you'll come no farther in my life in my children's life in my children's children's life I break the curse of poverty I break the curse of depression I break the curse of nothingness I break the curse of loneliness I will walk in the joy of the Lord because the Lord says today there is an end you focus on me and you tell whatever it is to be gone in Jesus' name because you have, listen to me, you have the authority. You don't need anything else. You just need me to speak to that in your life and say, this comes to an end today.
there's a word. sometimes if you don't know a person's story, you don't know their positionality, those words may not mean as much. But this is coming from a woman who lost her beloved husband just four years ago after 30 some odd years of marriage. 44 years of marriage. She's a woman who has been through the depths of sorrow, the portal of loss and disappointment. And when a mother in the faith tells you that there's a beginning and an end, you would do well to say, yes, I believe that. I I think that my sorrow won't last a lifetime. But I'm going to hook up with that word that there's an end. Because see, before she spoke it, the writer of Ecclesiastes spoke it. For there is a time. (laughs) There is a time to be born and there's a time to die. There is a time to plant and a time to, to pick up what that is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. There is time. And wisdom is knowing what time it is. And not staying too far into your season of grief. Oh, but we move through those things because we are a woke community that understands that feeling your feelings is so important. There is a time to break down and there is a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. When the mothers of the faith speak to us, it's important to pay attention. There's a time to sow. There's a time to keep silence. There's a time to speak. There's a time for peace. We grieve well in this house. We mourn well, knowing that we are never alone in our grief and in our sorrow. The old prophet said, for weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Weeping may endure for a night. Nice and softly.
thank you, thank you for your presence. You may be seated in the house. Mm-hmm. Y'all got like, I kind of felt like I got the preach on me there for a minute. Yeah, yeah, who brought their Bibles today? Because you know that I know. Wait, who did? I want to see. Y'all did. (laughs) To those of you who are here for the first time or here for the first time in a long time, um, we're notorious for not bringing our Bibles. Uh, we just don't. We typically look them up on the phone. or, or um, But we uh, are going through the book of John. Good job, Casey. Good job, Casey. Um, we're going through the book of John together, and I thought it might be nice if you had your paper to go along with me. Um, and so we're going to continue that journey together today, and I'll do my best to set it up well. And... Um, to let you know my heart and where we're coming from. You know, there is no other love like like this love of the presence, the presence of a source. Um, Seems to be doing something like a radical transformation inside of some people and inside of me. Um, The longer that I stay in relationship with the presence and with the source, the more, um, the more I... I, um, I think, plunge uh, deeper into unknown, unknown spaces and leave the shores of, uncer- uh, of certainty. So this shore of certainty in my life was having all the answers for my religious construct. Um, that is no longer where I am hanging out. Uh, and it's not a, a comfortable spot, really. Uh, <laughs> I really, it probably really enjoyed having all the answers. How about you? Wasn't that kind of fun to know everything? That was neat, right? <laughs> Kelly, all the Kellys, the, the Kellys are here. It was awesome to know everything, right? Like when anybody had any questions, it was like, oh, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, no, well, hmm. hmm. What do we mean by that? Everybody's, what'd you say? It needs to be expanded on, yeah, yeah, yeah. So much more complex than that. So much more complex. I'm just going to grab my water here. I forgot it. No other. No other. No other. The Lord's going to speak to us today. Um, Some through me and then some through your own Holy Spirit. Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm just pausing how I always do just to make sure. There's not some other wave. You know, I grew up in California in the ocean. And just when you think that the, way, that, like, the waves are done, oh, here comes another one. You thought the waves are getting smaller. Oh, here, here comes another. You just have to wait for it. You have to kind of go out into the deep and wait for that next little surge. 
and that urge um, because I can just like rush through my notes, but um, we're doing great on time. And, uh, <laughs> and I want the, the Lord to have exactly what, what he would want to do with us today. Um, yeah. And I can hear some of you going, Bonnie, just get on with it. We just want to hear what you have to say, but... <clears throat> You are my strength, strength like no other. If you know it, sing it. Strength like no other reaches to me. You are my hope. Sing it with me. Hope like no other. Hope like no other reaches to me. You are my peace. Peace like no of the spirit that can happen in a group that can go farther than mere knowledge bits. We are filled with knowledge. Our podcast lists are eternal. We can know anything we want to know by just looking it up. Any answer that we need. But what you can't always satisfy is the deep desire, longing, and aching that there's more. That there's something missing. Like you should be happy, you've got everything that you could need. And when we come into these spaces, in, these, in this group um, dynamic, there is a relationship with spirit that is available, that can touch the deepest sorrow. That's why I come. To see Christ in you, to see the light, to witness the light, 
and to be in the relationship in the unknowing and in the uncertainty. As we're taking a look at the nativity story this this month, I told you that I was going to take you through John because not very many people choose John to go through when it's time to talk about the birth of Jesus. I explained that there are four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark being the oldest. Mark is the oldest and the shortest book, all right? And it starts, interestingly, Mark doesn't start with a birth story. It starts with in the beginning. It doesn't end the beginning deal, right? Just like John does, just like the prologue of John. In the beginning. Now, this is the story of the good news of the Messiah, says Mark. This is the story. And he just sort of goes right into Jesus' main ministry. We don't even get the first part of his life. We get nothing of, of, of the sort, all right, in Mark. Then you go to Matthew. Matthew's where you get the genealogy, the genealogy of Jesus. You heard it. And so on, and begets so on, and begets so on. And we see everything from our, our, our early, 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 early fathers, fathers of the faith, desert fathers, Abraham and, and Isaac and, yeah, and all of those, all of those guys. And we get to see that in, in the ancestry of Jesus, the, that he was born of David, you know, in this line of David, in the line of some really um, interesting characters. The genealogy is so important because within it we find Jesus' humanity. We see that Jesus is not embarrassed to be called one of us. There's not among them a holy crew that did everything right. There's actually some really, really hard stories to hear about the people that finally gave birth to this God in flesh appearing. We see the Magi's in Matthew. That's where we get the Magi's and the star in the east and the star. It's where we get the shepherds. And all of those things are good and part of the whole picture of the story of Jesus as they saw it. So the Gospels, um, once you dive into them a little bit deeper, we find that they are um, not all in agreement. They saw things differently. And it's the challenge of the person of faith and the person of a student of the word to make sense or make peace with the differences. In Luke, we get the Annunciation. Oh, everybody can take a deep breath. We get the, the Annunciation because we get the angel Gabriel coming to the young woman. Coming to the young woman. Oh, man. This is a, like such a cool story, right? That's why everybody preaches about it. Luke, we get the angel coming to Mary and say, Behold, <laughs> highly favored one, the Lord is with you. For you shall conceive, and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you shall conceive of, of the Son of God. And Mary's response, everybody remember what Mary's response is? Be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. And she also asks a question, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the Bible know is, you know, to know, no. You know, to that kind. How can this be? 
Yeah. And then at the same time, her family member, Elizabeth, remember this part, Elizabeth is also visited by um, God making what was impossible possible. She has now conceived a son as well in her old age. Oh, awesome, right? Past the time of childbearing, she, re- she conceives of an impossibility. And it's John, the Baptist, the forerunner, the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. They're pregnant at the same time. God choosing to do something miraculous in a teen, in a young woman, and at the very same time simultaneously do something in an older woman. The very same time, Holy Spirit overshadowing, Holy Spirit causing what was once impossible to be possible. I love the Zechariah character in this story, you know, Elizabeth's husband, because they get an, an angel visitation that, you know, your, your wife is going to be this, at this old age, and Zechariah kind of doesn't really know how that's going to happen and starts to doubt and question. And the Bible text, the text, he was struck dumb that he was just muted, like that somehow <laughs> heaven put just a, um, quieted his mouth. And he was not able to talk the entire nine months that, that Elizabeth was pregnant with, uh, with, uh, with John. Best story ever. I, you know, and that, that's easy to say, right? Like, how nice would that be? I wonder if he was, like, able to talk during the delivery. Hopefully not. I mean, hopefully he was also just mute all the way through until afterward. But isn't it an interesting um, idea that Zechariah actually gets off really easy in this story? Because the word of possibility came to him the word of what was, like, this is possible for you, came to him. And what do we normally do when something like that opportunity of possibility comes? What is our natural tendency? Are you sure? How is this going to happen? Maybe the first week you're excited and on board and full of faith, but what about week two? And what about the end of the first month? And what about week 25 when you still haven't seen the promised child? You know something's different within you. You know something is happening, but you have nothing externally to prove that God spoke to you. This is the Advent idea is this expectation of what is to come, this expectation of a birthing of something impossible, this expectation, but you don't necessarily have anything to show anybody, which kind of makes you look foolish. It can really cause you to doubt yourself. So Zechariah, I mean, it's almost a favor from heaven. He doesn't get to talk, so he can't cancel the plan. He can't be disparaging. He can't argue. He can't complain. He's just sort of like, it's happening. I don't know how this is happening, but it's happening. And he can't talk about it. Isn't that an interesting position to be in? 
I almost want God to do that with us. Like, what if we were quieted enough about our own personal story that God was able to develop a story on your behalf without you fearing with it? What if God wanted to birth something through you and with you? And you could be a combination of like these responses, right? You could be the shepherds who gaze up and see the angels on high and hear the voice. You could be the ones traveling, the magi, the ones from the east traveling with looking for the promised Messiah with gifts to bear. Maybe this is you in different parts of your own experience with God. Sometimes you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to follow. And other times you're, you're like, can you please strike me dumb? Maybe another time, full of faith, you say, be it unto me according to your word. And so with John, we don't get that physical representation of Jesus the man, of Jesus the, the, human, the human one, the one born of a virgin, as we like to say. For in John's account of what happened with the life of Jesus, John does what we do, what we call it kind of mystical. It's not a part of the first three, three books, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. This John character sees things completely differently. He starts with this beautiful poem In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He includes us in the seeing. In John's Gospel, we don't get an Annunciation. In John's gospel, we don't get a Virgin Mary. Everybody go, oh. In John's gospel, we get a validation of the Messiah that Jesus is the word made flesh, the very concepts and ideas of God made flesh, and he doesn't even bother with the particulars of how that happened. For me, this is a big sigh of relief. For me, I like this vantage point. This is like, yes. I mean, the angel appearing and Zechariah going mute and angels in the sky are all wonderful. And I love all of that. But I love John's take of this is the revelation of John. John, either the son of Zebedee or John the Elder, whoever it is. You know, people sometimes fight a lot about who actually was the author of, the, of these books. And I'm sorry to say it wasn't God the Father pinning these words down for us. I'm sorry. I used to, I want that. <laughs> Don't you <laughs> want it to be true? But what we do have is inspired language that I believe is true. And I believe holds truth, but from different perspectives. 
So, like I said, we were going to kind of march along and march, march through this. We get our, our wedding at Cana story, right? We, we see Jesus turning water into wine. Then we see Jesus talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, all about the born-again experience, you know? And Nicodemus is saying, how can I be, uh, how can I, I, being an old man, enter again into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus is like, I'm not talking to you about natural things. I'm talking to you about spiritual things. Same thing kind of happened at the wedding at Cana. Jesus was talking about spiritual things. And, and the mother was already acknowledging that Jesus was here to do something very special. They say at the wedding, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Yeah. And we move on. We see him at the well. We see him at the well with the Samaritan woman. We see him there um, telling her and prophesying to her. And Jesus, again, goes on the underside, the spiritual side of what would be a natural and normal conversation, a boy meets girl at the well. You know, it's kind of a typical Bible story. Um, that's where they usually got betrothed. <laughs> you know, boy meets girl at the well. All right, well, now Jesus and the Samaritan. So it's already a construct set up for betrothal. And in that time, marriage was in two distinct pieces. In that time, and it's interesting to note when you think about the Mary Joseph story, that betrothal was an actual ceremony, that they were committed. They were married at betrothal. At the engagement, they were married. But they didn't have a homecoming ceremony yet, which was called the wedding. So they didn't, he did not receive the bride into his house until the marriage. So betrothal, they're legally married, but living separately. At wedding, it's the receiving of the bride into the groom's home. It makes it all the more tender when you move on into the book of John, and Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Remember? Making him and enunciating him even more as the bridegroom, right? When he, it's more tender in that culture when you think about what that would mean to be received home, you know, we are the bride of Christ, as, as the Bible would depict it. Yeah, interesting, right? And so, um, and then we see Jesus coming upon a man at the pool of Bethesda, chapter 5. Oh, this is such a beautiful story. Let's start in verse, um, yeah, let's start in verse 1. Aren't you so proud, those of you that have your Bible? You're like, yeah. John 5, 1, I'm reading it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now, there was a certain man there who had an infirmity 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, Jesus said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed, 
and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. I just, I lo- I've always really sat with this story about you. Do you love this story? about Like this man lying there in that condition for so long. I, I, hear, I hear his pain. I feel his pain. I feel the excuses that he has, you know, because we all have them. I, I would, but I have this. I would have done that, but I thought that I needed to be, I thought that at some point I would get to this spot and then I would do it. So I really identify relatable with this guy. I, very relatable. And the mercy, I, I think what we see in this story, because you are, you know, the, the tendency with old conservative Christianity is to say, oh, are you saying that everybody's going to be made healed in this realm and in this dimension and that if you get in, an encounter with Jesus that all of your ailments and infirmities are supposed to go away? I would like to say that. I would like to say that that's the case. But what I want us to learn about these stories is that it's lifting up an aspect, okay? It's lifting up an aspect of Jesus. Is Jesus a healer? If you imagined that Jesus were here in the flesh and you had a need, do you think that Jesus would meet that need for you? So it's lifting up an aspect of the character of the divine. It's lifting up an aspect that of no working of your own. In this story, there's a part of your life where you didn't even know your healing was coming. Where you didn't have to work for it. You didn't have to believe it. You didn't even know, have to know who did it. This is a part of God a part of an unexpected favor. Does that sound familiar? Behold, highly favored woman, highly favored, right? These themes begin to really relate to one another, and you start to see that there's a part of God that is benevolent without your cooperation. Hallelujah. See, so we don't have to worry ourselves, is who is this, that, and the other person going to get healed, or why doesn't Bonnie smell and taste yet, or whatever the case is, you know, right? Because I have to deal with all that. I have to deal with all the body ailments, all the things. But what I see in this story is a mercy came walking up to this man who had been in a condition far longer than he had ever expected to be in. And without social security, and without a college fund, and without a 401k, and without a retirement plan, this man who had been in a condition that long received a mercy he did not see coming. I think that's awesome. I think that there's something in that for us. We see that it, because the, the, the guy, the guy's response is every single one of us, sir, I have no man. I have no safety net. 
I have no mom. Come on, somebody. I lost my child when, when he was only two weeks old. I have no I have no source of comfort. I have no source. I live paycheck to paycheck. In this story, at this moment, that doesn't matter. Man, I find a great deal of hope in that. I find a great deal of hope in that. <laughs> he moves on. He moves on and he starts getting followed and, and uh, word of Jesus' miracles and signs and teachings start to spread. And uh, Jesus is, is written about here as, as talking about witnesses and himself and of where he comes from and where he's going. Um, he is showing himself to be learned in the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. We then move on to, to chapter 6 where he first, uh, we first see him feeding the 5,000 through the disciples, interestingly enough, using the disciples to then feed the 5,000, showing us another side of God, showing a side of God. Okay, we just saw a benevolent action without um, the request of the receiver, right? We see this benevolent action without any participation from the receiver. Well, now we go to the next story, and we see this relationship with the disciples. Could Jesus have fed all 5,000 people in an instant? Just made bread appear out of nowhere, their stomachs are filled, and they're, and they're filled. That's how we think of, of, like, turning over natural events in the world. Like, that would be a miracle. Like, that would be outside of the natural order of things. But what we see here is not a benevolent action without the participation of the disciples that he was teaching. So in this moment, he now requests the participation of the disciples. Now, you take this bread. I'm going to actually break it, give thanks for it, give thanks to the Father, bless it, and give it to you to then you give it to them. So now we see a relationship. So this is a totally different way of solving the need. This is a totally different and unique way. I think what we're, where we're coming from is in some ways when we read these texts, we think that God is just this miracle worker that is instantaneously, that overturns natural order of, of events. And if it's not that, then we don't know what it is. But what we see with these stories is there's all kinds of ways that God works in and with and among people. All right. And so what did we know? That wisdom is knowing what time it is. Wisdom is knowing when you are a part of the miracle. Now you're getting it all together. I'm seeing the light. Like Mary's holding the possibility, right? The vessels of water are holding the possibility of wine. Nicodemus is seeing Christ come and see, born again. We're seeing the man walking with his mat. The people fed. And then Jesus moves on after he feeds the 5,000, and he goes on to say one of the most ludicrous things that he's ever said to anybody ever. He tells them, have we ever heard it just like that? It's like, yeah, that's weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> he goes on. This is so awesome. So the end of, of chapter 6, everybody's going to love this. Watch this. So verse 53, John 6, 53. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. (laughs) Guys, if you are reading this text from a literal perspective, this right here should show us what kind of literature we're dealing with. Come on. This is not a literal command. This shows you the kind of literature we're dealing with. It's metaphor. Isn't, aren't you relieved? <laughs> aren't you relieved? So what are the teachings? What, are the, what is the flesh and the blood? What is the flesh and the blood of Jesus? The word, the teaching, the works, the signs, the life, the light, the, all the I am statements, like we said the bread of life, the living water, the living water on the inside, all these spiritual intangible things. If you ever needed another reason, and as you read the text over and over again, you can see it's metaphor, it's parable. It's not intended to be taken literally. Everybody can be cool with that? Yeah, aren't you relieved? Yeah, of course. Moving on, going through verse uh, chapter 7, I, and I'm going to end here down at, at verse 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What does this mean? We're talking again with natural language, talking about spiritual stuff. So we're talking about the Spirit. We're talking about the Holy Spirit that lives and abides within the human being, out of which flows rivers of living water. Out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. Why did Jesus go on to say later in the book of John that it's better for him to go away so that the Spirit would come, so that we would learn to rely upon the Spirit within us? How What a tendency it would be with Jesus in the flesh to rely on him and go to him for everything. Like you would almost feel the sense of great loss and loneliness without him in your presence because he had everything available to offer you. But he's saying, no, 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 it's not just this one unit, this one individual body, but it's the spirit that will be within you and upon you and with you always. Yeah, so in each one of these stories, like, like we started out with all four of the Gospels, we see different sides. So don't feel rushed to try to get the whole story from one part. They're all parts of the whole, and they create a full picture of what we're working with here. And you can find yourself within them. Most recently, I have identified the most with Zechariah. I have wanted, and this week, I have been aching within myself 
to be silenced about what's possible. I want God to rewrite my story and move within me something bigger than what I planned, something bigger than what I could see. And I want the courage that even though I have no physical thing to show that I'm on, you know, I'm on the right track or I've heard from God, I want that ability to not speak disparagingly about the dream and the gift of God that's been planted within me. I want that for you. I desire for you that you would have a companion, a friend, with whom you can speak about the impossible things that God is doing within you. And that that friend would not poo-hoo you and say, well, where's your fruit? Or where's the proof? But instead would say, I see that in you. I see that in you. I know you've been working on that for a long time. I know you've been believing that for a long time. I know that what God did and spoke to you is true. I can feel it. I mean, that's what happened when Elizabeth got next to uh, Mary. The babies leapt in their wombs, right? Oh, I want a womb mate for you. I want somebody that knows and perceives the gift of God over you and says, I see it because their womb leaps within them when they're around you. I want that for this house. I don't want you to have to prove your success or prove your worth by what you show and produce outwardly, but I want somebody to see the invisible thing happening within you and call it forth. Amen. (laughs) And call it forth out of you. I see that in you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that in you. I see it in you. Because what love doesn't exist, love insists pulls out of obscurity the things that are dark and hidden within you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. (laughs) I can't go on any farther, but let's skip a couple. Nope. Nope, we're going to be good. I was just going to preach a whole other sermon. (laughs) Um, As the children are... Um, hopefully someone has told them that we are coming to a close. Um, I want you also to get ready um, as we are going to have communion and interactive worship time. I do want, um, thank you Eve for coming. I do want you to be ready to share um, some of the good things that God is doing with you this week or good things that have happened or some things that we can hold you up in prayer about. So be ready for that when we complete communion. Um, This embodied communion is for all the friends and family of Christ. Um, This is a special table, and it's open to all. It is a mystery, and it is full of healing, and it does have within it, um, I think, a relationship with you and the body of Christ as you are the body of Christ Something that I don't think anybody can really describe. Um, but everyone is welcome at the, at the table today. Whether you belong here, you can go ahead. Eve. Whether you 
long here at this church um, as a member or if you're just visiting today. Um, as always, I simply ask one thing. That you want to. That you want to go. Would you stand with me? I recognize this song. We have the journaling cards over to my left, your right. Um, if something has m mattered, ha had meaning for you today, and you want to write it down for yourself for another time in the year to pick up, if, there's a, if you haven't looked at your journaling cards that you've had up here for a while and you want to grab yours, go ahead and do that today. You can write the, the cross and light a candle there. Say a prayer. Um, remember the hope that you have within you that never fades. There's also the rocks there with the water. Maybe you want to lay something down today. Maybe you want to lay a burden down and put it in the water of community. And then, of course, the table. You'll come up and receive uh, the elements, and then you'll return to your seat, and I'll lead us all as one to take them together. God bless you as you come.